I want, they want, I want that for adults. Yeah. Maybe that'll bring more people here, right? Yeah, I think that'd be fun, be not so secret agents. People are clapping for that. So you're saying my messages aren't that good. All right, let's go. <laughs> Happy Father's Day, everybody. Hey, I wanna welcome all of you here. So glad that you made it here on this day and uh, all of you who are watching online. Thanks for joining us as well, wherever you are watching from. Thanks for just making us a part of your journey with God, wherever that is. We exist to help you take the next step, uh, whatever that may be. And so we're just glad to be a part of that with you. Now, before I get to the message, I, I do wanna uh, bring something up quickly uh, to you. And it's one of the things that I'm happy to say that has returned for us as a church, which is our short-term global missions trips. And uh, if you don't know, we actually have two of them uh, right now in the making. One has already left uh, and one is going next week. And so I wanna just talk about them just really quick. Uh, so one of our groups just landed in Medellin, Colombia yesterday, actually early this morning, uh, where they are working with Brian and Catherine Miller in Esther's home. And, and many of you know that ministry. In fact, if you are drinking coffee this morning, that, that comes from them. That's how we support their ministry. And it's an awesome ministry. What they do is they help homeless uh, and pregnant teen moms uh, find shelter, find housing, and also they teach them, give them training and, and therapy. And so our team's there and they're gonna assist with some projects and also uh, do some training for them to help them along the moms there. And so be praying for them. And then next week, uh, we have another group that's gonna take off. They're gonna go to Cologne, Germany. Uh, and this is, uh, they're gonna be working with our Great Commission Global Partners where they're, they're gonna be working uh, with people in the refugee highway there in Europe. And they're they're gonna be a part of this team that is gonna reach these uh, folks with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it's an outreach-based uh, missions trip. And so I wanna bring that up because we are looking forward to what God is gonna do and what God's gonna do with them, through them, uh, and around them. But I want us as a church to be praying for them, okay? Easiest way to do that is when you go out there today, this morning, you will find a prayer guide out there. That prayer guide is really huge because it'll give the names of everybody on those trips and it'll give specific things to pray for. So please grab one of those and you can also get them online if you're watching. If you go to our website and go to our global outreach uh, partner page, you will find a prayer sheet. Make sure you grab one of those on your way out uh, and. And again, it has some directed prayers that you can do, okay? So do that with me. I think it's gonna be great. Can't wait to hear what God does. Uh, all right, so let's get to it. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those. Open up to the book of Judges. Judges. Over the next seven weeks, we are gonna study the book of Judges. And let me tell you, this is gonna be awesome. I cannot wait for this series. I'm so excited about this. Now, if you don't know anything about the book of Judges, get ready, all right? We are going to encounter some of the weirdest stories and actually some of the most famous stories in the Bible. There is love, there is war, there is espionage, there is potty humor, there is overall shenanigans in the book of, if there is a Father's Day message, it's this one right now, everybody, like you can't miss what is gonna happen in this book. And so but we ain't taking summer off, everybody. Buckle up, this is gonna be an awesome ride, all right? Uh, and, and here's one thing I wanna encourage you to do before we get to Judges 1. Bring your Bibles with you. I said that last Sunday. This is a great bring your Bible with you. We're gonna find out as we study this about God and his people, he has a lot to say about us 
us through the book of Judges. Uh, we are very much an underline and circle kind of church in your Bibles. So bring those with you. They won't deteriorate when they leave your house, I promise you, okay? They will, they will be okay for the journey here, all right? Uh, so find them, blow the dust off of them, come on in and bring them with you. I think it's gonna be worth it. Uh, and then the other thing that we have for you is we have a study of the book of Judges. If you really wanna go a little deeper, I hope you do. Uh, we, out there in the lobby alongside our global missions uh, prayer sheet, you're gonna find a full study guide uh, that we actually printed through Right Now Media. And, and some of you know about our partnership with them. Right Now Media, if you don't know, is an awesome library of studies and books and videos that you can watch. And just by being a part of River Ridge Church, you have a free account there through us. So you can get a free account. But we just, we printed the study off there, there for you. And so you could go as far as you want in that study. So make sure you grab one of those and it has a little QR code on the back of it to get you into Right Now Media. Print that off and you can study it. There's a reading plan, it has a video guide, challenging questions. Uh, so man, I think that's gonna just get us ready for the whole summer, all right? So now with all that said, here's what we're gonna do today. Really, really simple, all right? We are going to give an introduction to the book of Judges, what it's all about. And we're gonna get there by really going over most of chapter one and a little bit of chapter two. And it'll give us, I think, uh, what this is gonna be all about for us. All right, you ready? Everybody ready? All right, chap summer's riding on this, everybody. We better be ready, all right? Chapter one, verse one, here we go. All right, it says, after the death of Joshua, the people of Israel inquired of the Lord, who shall go up first for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have given the land into his hand. All right, so let's get going here on the beginning. Here, here's uh, what's happening in the very beginning of this letter. There is a huge transition here that we see, right? It says that Joshua dies. Now, this is really important for us to understand what's happening here because uh, in the Bible, up to this point in the story of God and his people, there are really only a handful of leaders that God appoints. And there are not too many that are more important than Joshua. And so we're gonna study this for a second. So Joshua uh, is the guy who took over for Moses, all right? Moses, uh, this is right after Moses leads God's people out of slavery in Egypt, if you remember uh, the beginning of the, of, of the Bible, and he leads God's people uh, into the promised land. He, he gets them going to the promised land and it takes them 40 years to get there because of some disobedience that's happening at that point. But they finally get to the promised land and right before, right on the doorstep, Moses dies. All right, now God then appoints Joshua to take over, it's to step up, to lead his people. And Joshua does it, he's a great man of God. He leads his people across the Jordan River and we see they, they actually won a few key battles there to get into the promised land and advance in. But then after that, Joshua's time is done, Joshua dies. And so now right now with God and his people, they are at a key point. Think about this, Moses dies. Then Joshua is now gone and they don't have a leader. So now they're wondering, man, what do we do? Where, where do we turn? Where do we go? Uh, how do we advance? And here's what they elect to do. It's the first thing that we see them do is they ask God. They went to God. They said, all right, God, we need you. Help us in this time of transition. And I think for us, as we study this, we're gonna find something that, that, that God wants to teach us along the way. And I think for us, this stuck out to me. We all go through times of transition, don't we? Times of transition that we wish for, times of transition that we don't see coming. We all have them. You know, maybe when you move, uh, that's a time of transition. When you have a job change or when something happens in the family, good or bad, and, and we all have to face those questions. What do we do? 
Where do we turn? Sometimes it feels like we have no idea which direction to get in or get out of it or, or whatever it is. And this is so important. And this is the first thing that I feel like God wants us to know because it's in times of transition uh, that we make the biggest difference in our direction. It's the decisions that we make and the times of transition that will really determine the direction that we go. And, and so what we need to do in those times of transition in our lives is, is what we see the people of God do, that, that we need to be attentive and listen to the word of God uh, in times of transition. And here's the good news about this, gang. God gives us more than what he gave them back then, actually. I think sometimes we think because they heard directly from God, they had more than, than what we have. Actually, that's not true. God not only gives us one way that we can listen to God, not even two. He gives us three amazing ways that we can listen to him. And if you wanna write these down in your notes, I don't have them up there, but uh, he, he actually, we can listen to God through going to God's word. That's one. Because gang, if, if God's word says it clearly, then you don't have to wonder about what to do. That's the first way that we can listen to God. The second way to listen, guys, is that we can seek him out in prayer. That we can seek him out. And I actually think, God, as you write that one down, I think that is the most utilized way for the least amount of time. Let me, let me explain that. I think a lot of times in times of transition, we actually treat prayer like a sprint when we should actually treat it more like a marathon. That, that I think we come in and real quick and if we don't get an answer, then we kind of move on to the next thing. But man, if you see the examples of people in the Bible as they pray to God, the biggest example we have of going to God is Jesus. You look at how Jesus spent time with God in times of transition. He went away for a long time sometimes to seek God out, to get an answer, to get the direction. So that's another way that we seek him out in prayer. And the other way that we can listen to God is, is by listening to God's people. Listening to God's people. Gang, you need people of God in your life. People who you know are chasing after God. He gives me wisdom so many times from people who I trust are going after God uh, themselves. And so uh, the point is, that's how God speaks to us today. But, but for us, man, when you're in a transition, listening to God is so important because the direction you go is so important. And so they ask God, they ask God and he gives them direction. Pretty good start for the people of God. We're off to a good start. All right, verse four. It says, all right, then Judah went up and the Lord gave the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hand and they defeated 10,000 of them at Bezek. They found Adonai Bezek. And so this is, we're gonna see a lot of these as you study and, and read. What this means really is it's a general term for king of Bezek. You'll see Adonai blank. And that's what that means. It's king of whatever land. Adonai Bezek is king at Bezek and fought against him and defeated the Canaanites and the Perizzites. Adonai Bezek fled, but they pursued him and caught him and cut off his thumbs and his big toes. <coughs> Moving on. And Adonai Bezek said, 70, now listen to what he said. 70 kings with their thumbs and their big toes cut off used to pick up scraps under my table. Here's what he said. As I have done, so God has repaid me. And they brought him to Jerusalem and he died there. All right. Let's stop there. We got a, lot, a couple things to talk about here. A couple of big things that I wanna talk about. We have 10,000 people getting killed and then we have a king getting his digits cut off. So let's talk about those. Let's cover the weird one first. What's the point of, of this king getting his uh, fingers and toes cut off? So here's the point. The point of the fingers and toes getting cut off is this. I don't know. I have no idea. I know you're waiting for a big profound, I don't know. It, it's just a description in there that's there and, and that's what happened, it's a detail, but I'm sure it's something, I don't have time to look at it fully, but here's where I go with this. That is a strange detail that just for me, I just think that that actually corroborates the story. I think that really happened. Why would they put that in there if it didn't happen? That, maybe that's why it's there, I don't know, but it's just an odd detail. But 
Let's get to the bigger one. Let's get to the bigger one here. Uh, it's the fact that we see God's people killing thousands of other people. And so here's what you're gonna find, gang, as you study the book of Judges. You're gonna see, I don't know how else to put it, you're gonna see a lot of people die. You're gonna see a lot of people die. I don't know how else to say it. And God is directing this to happen. And so one of the major questions that comes up is, and this is a really big one. This is actually a stumbling block for a lot of people uh, with God. And it's this, is how would a loving God sanction the killing of, of a lot of people like that? How it doesn't jive with, with what I think. So uh, I wanna talk about this. I'm not gonna be able to address this fully, but I do believe this deserves some sort of a response. I wanna address this as best I can. There are a few things that help me understand here within this story in the context of Israel and Canaan, because that's what we're talking about. Uh, so one specific thing that's a help for me, you can write this down. We're not gonna have time to go to it, but if you write down Genesis 15, 16, write that down, because this is very helpful when it comes to what's happening between Israel and Canaan, because in Genesis 15, 16, that's the very beginning of God's story. What God actually says there is he says that he will not allow God to get into the promised land until the sin of the Amorites has uh, reached its full measure. That's what it says in Genesis 15, 16. Now, this is why this is a big uh, detail because those are the people who will later on become the Canaanites, that they become the people who are in the land of Canaan. And, and so we find out all, in the very beginning, they are not following God. They are actually going in another direction. And not only that, when you read in Deuteronomy and also in Leviticus, it goes on to explain uh, the wickedness of these people. They just get worse and worse, no better. Uh, and they're wicked people doing horribly bad things. And so what we see here with, with the killing of these groups of people is this. We see, now you gotta catch this gang. This is what has to be done with sin. That doesn't change, gang. This is what has to happen with sin. It has to be dealt with. And before you think that God was impatient with this group of people, think about this. It took him 400 years before he finally said, okay, let's go. It, he gave them 400 years to, to return to him, to turn back to him, but they never do. In fact, they get worse. They get worse. And, so, and don't miss this. Don't miss what that king said. He didn't say, oh man, God is so unfair. He said, no, nah, I, I know what we did. God's absolutely just in what he did. That's what the king of that land said. Um, so that's one, that's one part. But, but here's the other question a lot of people ask. What about, what about the innocent people? Like, what about kids? And, and here's where I go with that. I'm with you. I think about that a lot. But, you know, as I thought about this, here's, here's what I know that still exists today. Isn't it true that there are innocent people who are caught up in the sins of their fathers all the time? Gang, listen, that's not, that's not isolated in this ju in Judges, right? It, it, it happens today. People, innocent people are always caught up in the sins of others. And, and so here's like where I go with this. Um, something that helps me here with this is when I kind of put my eternal perspective hat on. Because when I put the eternal perspective hat on, here's, what, here's where I go. We are all, I, I, I want you to know, we are all gonna die an earthly death, all right? Every single one of us will die an earthly death. But that is not, that's not the final story for us, for all of us. Like death is not the end. And here's how I see what's going on here with God's people in Canaan and even innocent people that I just see God as perhaps collecting some of these people early before they had an age of accountability, before they could be corrupted by the sins of their fathers. And here's what I believe. I believe that they were judged fairly. 
I believe that God and his justice judged them perfectly and fairly before they had an age of accountability. Now, listen, it does not say that in there. This is my opinion and you can disagree with my opinion and we will be okay. Uh, Contradictory to what our cancer culture says, it's okay. You can disagree with me and we still agree that Jesus is the answer and and be okay together. But I just believe that that that's what happens here. The yes are innocent people caught up, but I think God, uh, he's perfectly just. And I think that his perfect justice still applies here. Uh, but I don't want us to under, uh, miss this. Make no mistake here. Make no mistake here. This is the outcome of sin. It's death. That is no different today. The wages of sin is death. And I think, I think sometimes we have a low value of sin and its outcome. Just generally, I think when we do, I, that's the outcome. It is, it is serious to God, but uh, God, thank God he gave us Jesus. Amen, everybody. Thank God that Jesus came to redeem the sin that corrupts and kills. And make no mistake about this, it's available to anyone and everyone who wants to accept his solution of grace and mercy and forgiveness. And, that, and that's the big point that I wanna say today. It's available to everyone. So that's my understanding of this. That's, I, I wish we had more time to go deeper, but I, I do wanna give some reasoning to it and, and some theological depth to it. So I hope that that did a little bit for you and, uh, maybe you can study more on, on your own, okay? So, so that hopefully answers the big question. All right, let's, let's move on, go to verse 19. We're gonna drop down to verse 19. So what's happening between there and verse 19 is they start uh, conquering some of these people and driving out some of the Canaanites, all right? So here's what happens in verse 19. It says, and the Lord was with Judah and he took possession of the hill country. That sounds good. But then he, he could not drive out the inhabitants though of the plain because they had chariots of iron. Now, Let's look at this because this right here to me is the pivot point for the entire book of Judges. Right here, this verse right here. There are two key phrases in here that we gotta catch that the Lord was with them and they could not drive out the people. Now, this is one of those times I think when you read where where you can easily read and move past it without seeing the significance of what that just says, okay? So I wanna ask a question. Let me ask you a question with, with seeing this up here. What did we see God say in the very beginning of this with his people? What did he say? He said, I have given the land into your hand. I have given you all that. And, and this was a plan. Drive out the Canaanites, drive out every one of them because they're gonna corrupt you. They're gonna, we do not want them there. Uh, and that God gave them the victory. You have the victory, okay? And so the first few battles, as you read, they go to plan. Like they drive them out, victory is there. It, uh, you know, maybe they had more people than that particular place. Maybe uh, they had a better strategy or whatever it was. But now, now we're at this battle and what we see is, well, wait a minute. I mean, they got iron chariots. We don't got iron chariots. And, and so a little bit of a history lesson, iron chariots back then was like, that was like the tanks of the ancient time. It, it took one iron chariot to really wipe out hundreds and hundreds of other soldiers. So it didn't take many of them to do that. And so Israel was saying, we got to catch this. He was saying, I mean, they were like telling God, look, I mean, look at what they got. We can't drive them out. They have way better weapons. They have way better superior things. And, and as you keep reading, gang, this is why this is a huge pivot point in this book. We're not going to read it all, but this is what happens in this pivotal moment. The rest of chapter one talks about how they did not drive out the enemies. It is tribe after tribe after tribe of Israel. You can read it later, but it lists them. It says, Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants and Ephraim did not drive them out and Zebulun, then Asher, then Naphtali did not drive them out. Now, not only 
Did they not drive them out? We're gonna read what they actually did do. So let's drop down to verse 28. Here's what it says. It said, in fact, they actually grew stronger because they occupied the land, but then they put the Canaanites to forced labor, but they did not drive them out completely. So let's recap. Not only did they not drive them out, but now they're like, hey, let's make them slaves. Let's put them on forced labor. That actually works really good. Here's the problem. This is not what God told them to do. This is not what God told them to do. In fact, I think a lot of times that's another big thing. It's like, how come God's okay with slavery? He never approved of slavery there. In fact, he said, that's not what I want you to do. That's what they did. And we're gonna see, gang, listen, this will cause major problems for the entire rest of the book of Judges, okay? Because every single one of these people groups that they did not drive out and that they were allowed to stay, they ended up growing stronger and they actually over time tried to seize and kill Israel every single time. That's what you're gonna see, every single one of them. And gang, here's the reality for us. I love how God speaks to us through this as well. This is what we have to see in our own lives. This is what we have to see in our own lives. Here's a question that I think we need to ask ourselves if we really wanna see our faith in God work. And gang, I really hope you do. I hope you wanna see your faith in God work. I think some people treat faith in God like like an add-on to everything else that they're doing, but you're never gonna get there like that. I hope you know that. You will never uh, see how faith really works like that. But if you do wanna see faith work, then here's what uh, a question that I think you should ask. And it's this is, where am I saying I can't when God is saying you won't? Where am I saying, God, this this is an iron chariot, I can't. But God is saying, you got me, you just won't. A lot of times I think for us, when we look at our lives, it's not a lack of our own strength that keeps us from victory and, and, and receive and having true working faith in God. I don't think that's it at all. I think what happens is it's in our inability to trust in God's strength to be our strength. That's where breakthrough comes, gang. And that's where a lot of people don't get there with God. It's unfortunate, but it's true. And, and why we see flimsy faith happen so often, even in this church, where you see flimsy faith is, is we don't really think it works. We don't really think faith works, but it's not that it doesn't work. It's because of this gang, it's because you've never actually relied on God's strength and his power to be your strength and your power in this life. Happens all the time. Where are you saying I can't? When God is saying, no, you just won't. I hate to give a list of things. I hate to give a list of things because I don't wanna leave anybody out of this. But you know, I thought about some of these, you know, uh, maybe it's having integrity. God, I can't do this honest and play fair. I mean, I won't survive in this industry that way. I can't. Maybe, maybe it's forgiveness. Maybe it's in forgiving people. I can, you know, there's no way. I can't forgive them for what they did. Maybe it's just compromising something. Maybe it's compromising your purity in relationships. Maybe it's compromising financial faithfulness to God. God, I can't do it that way. But, but God is saying, no, no, no. It has nothing to do with your inability. It has everything to do with not tapping into my ability. You just, you just won't. You won't do it. And notice, gang, notice when this happened to Israel. This is a big one. It's not when they were weak. I find that interesting. It says when they grew strong that they allowed the Canaanites to actually hang around. It's not when they were weak. I think sometimes we, we are most vulnerable, not when we're weak, but when we're actually more self-sufficient. I think we're most vulnerable when we're more self-sufficient. So, so here's what we see happening. We see Israel's compromise with what God told them to do. They don't go in all the way. This is like half uh, obedience. This is like kind of partway obedience. And this is where trouble happens. I don't think they would have known it to that point in time, this is, but this is where things grow into sinful behavior and also destruction. Okay, so, so that's chapter one. 
right? That's chapter one. Now let's see how this plays out. Chapter two, let's get to the next chapter. We're gonna read a few verses in here to set us up. It says this in chapter two. Again, they, I think if you uh, read chapter one, I think a lot of it would read like, hey, this is how we're doing all right. We're doing all right. We'll see how God thinks. All right, it says, now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochum. And he said, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers. I said, and I would underline this if you have your Bibles, I will never break my covenant with you. Underline, it's a huge part in this, in, in this story. And you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. And he says, what is this you have done? And so real quick, um, Places in the Old Testament really are a big deal. They're really important. And so when it says that the angel came from Gilgal, uh, this is important because Gilgal is actually where God reestablishes his covenant with his people. You can see it if you wanna write this down in the notes margin there, Joshua chapter five. That's where they are. And this is right next to Jericho. Gilgal is right next to Jericho. And this is where uh, Joshua and the people, they renew their commitment to God uh, before they invaded Canaan. And so Gilgal here, this is significant when it says that this is where he came from. And I figure when he came, he said, I came from Gilgal. I don't know how he said it. Maybe, but they knew that's where he came from. So I figure he told them, but, but they knew, oh man, like this is a reminder to them. Oh yeah, that we're saved by God's grace, not by what we did, that God did all of that. And so God was reminding them of his word to them. Listen, his covenant with them, his promise to them, his goodness, what he did for them and all that. And sometimes, isn't it easy to forget that? Isn't it easy in our present time to forget what God has done and where, he's, where he took us and where he brought us from? But when we forget what God has done, we become vulnerable to what the outside can do. And then God says, I don't know if you ever heard this from your parents. What have you done? Have you ever heard that? That's never good to hear. Never good to hear. Uh, actually, I love my dog because he could have done nothing and I could just look at him and go, what did you do? And he's like, like, you ever do that? Uh, yeah, Cordy always yells at me for doing that. I just think it's hilarious. I'm like, what did you do? And he's like, ooh, it's like that. So this is like what I see. And they realize, oh, this is bad. This is bad. Oh man, we, we did not trust God. We didn't drive out the Canaanites. How did we forget this? How did we forget God and his goodness and his covenant and all the things that he already did for us and how great he is to us. And now we're in a bind. We're in a bind. And so they're ready, man. They're ready, I think, for God to smite them. They're ready for God to, to just mark them down. But remember in chapter one, remember what he said. He said, I'm with you. Hey, I'm with you. I'm gonna put them in your hands. And here again in chapter two, that's why I had you underline. He said, I will never break my covenant with you. That's so significant to remember with God. Even though you didn't follow through with your end of the bargain, I will never break my commitment to you. But, but, there's gonna be some collateral damage from what you did. That's okay. There's gonna be collateral damage with what happened. You, and you brought this on yourself. I warned you. I told you, just follow me. Remember me. I didn't want this for you. I wanted blessings and I wanted uh, to be pr protecting you. And, and I wanted all that to come to you from following me, but you brought this on yourself. Next verse, verse three, it says this. It says, so now I say, this is God continuing. Now I say, I will not drive them out before you. But they shall, Canaanites shall become thorns in your sides and their gods shall be a snare to you. Next verse says, as soon as the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the people of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and wept and they called the name of that place Bochum and they sacrificed there to the Lord. So looks like, looks like they get back on track. 
right? They, they weep, it looks good. They're weeping, they're, they're making sacrifice to the Lord. Let's see what happens. Drop down to verse 10, let's see what happens. And all that generation also were gathered their fathers. Now listen to this. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. So now they don't even acknowledge the Lord. So wait, what just happened? Because we, what we just saw was they, they realized what happened. They remembered God. And they, but even though they cried, even though they cried out to God, when God called them out, it looked like things were happening there, but, but there was no real heart change. That's what we see. There's no real change on the inside for them. It seems more like they were just bummed they got caught, bummed that God called them out. This is a shallow faith, gang. This is what we're seeing. This is the result of a shallow faith. The authenticity is low. You know, last week, what we talked about was having an authentic faith and what, looking, what that looks like, what an authentic faith looks like. And, and it's not shallow, it's a deeper, deeper faith. I think sometimes we get confused on what a deep faith looks like because we think that having a deep, authentic faith means having all this Bible knowledge and all this know-how and, and all that stuff. But that's not what the Bible says a deep faith is. The Bible tells us that a deep faith is more about our decision and follow through as we follow God. That's what we don't see here, that, that, that a deeper faith, when you see somebody with a deep faith, it's, just a, it's a result of their, of their decisions and the follow through that they have as they follow God. Uh, and, and so here's what I wanna say to you. This is, this is really neat to understand. You don't need to know the entire Bible cover to cover to have a deep faith. You don't have to be an academic all-star to have a deep faith in God. Anyone can walk with a deep faith in God and, and what he calls for you and to have the blessings that he wants for you. Uh, because here's the thing, uh, it, it's, it has to do more with your decisions than anything else. And, and here's the thing, you will never know the depth. You will never know the depth of his promises and blessings in a shallow faith. That's why God wants you to have a deep faith. And so here's my question, last question I wanna ask as we go through this. Which faith are you living right now? Which faith are you living right now? With, what is God saying to you about your faith compared to what he wants for you? The good news is anybody can have a deep faith and the blessings that come with it because deep faith is, is more about the decisions we make and the follow through we have than anything else. And, and here's why this is such a big deal. This is why shallow faith is so dangerous, everybody. This is why it's so dangerous. What may look okay on the outside will absolutely fall apart. Let's go to verse 11. It says, and the, so generation forgot God and it gets worse. It says, and the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. These are the people of God and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. Next verse. They went after other gods from among the gods of peoples who were around them and bowed down to them. Now, gang, listen, remember where we started. Remember where we started. Joshua died. And they said, God, what do we do? We need you. And they, they turn to God and help us. And, and just in a few generations, here's what we see. And this is what happens with shallow faith it, it, when it takes over. This section is so profound to me. It always gets me. They did what was evil. They abandoned God. They forgot him. For what? For what? Little gods. Little gods. Little gods from people that they allowed to hang around. That's what happened. So instead of serving the God who loves them, who protects them, who made a covenant with them, who said, I will provide you, I will give you blessings, I will give you everything, Israel ended up serving the little gods. And here's what I wonder. I wonder if they believed what I actually think so many of us believe too. I, I wonder if they, if they were fooled to believe you can go through life without serving something. You'll never be able to go through life. You, 
Don't fool yourself. You're, you are serving someone or something right now. You can't go through life without serving someone or something. And they decided, here's what they decided, gang. They decided to chase the culture around them instead of the God who loved them. They made a choice. And here's what happened, verse 14. And so the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. And he said, and he sold them into the hands of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm as, as the Lord had warned and as the Lord had sworn to them and they were in terrible distress. Now gang, this is why I think it's so important to understand the context of what you read when you read the Bible. I think a lot of times we take things out of context because if you read this by itself, uh, it looks like this is something God did. It ain't. This is not what God did. This is not what he wanted. He, he let happen what he warned would happen. He warned them, but they abandoned him anyways. And so they become subservient to what they were supposed to drive out. They became slaves to what they were supposed to get rid of and to the culture around them by worshiping the idol of their times. And gang, it's no different than what happens today. An idol, here's an idol. An idol is anything of this world that promises to give you what only God can give and satisfy. That's what an idol is. And that's what they decided to go after. So, so safety, security, satisfaction. So many of us go after these things to try to find it uh, when God says, I have it. You only find it through me. I'm the only one that will satisfy you. But we chase after money or popularity, vanity, people-pleasing status in our community. And instead of finding satisfaction, here's what they do, gang. They trap us. They suck us in. And then they become something that we gotta get after, something that we have to have, and we become slaves to it. This right here, gang, is going to be a major theme in the book of Judges as we read it. And it's a major theme for so many of us in our lives. And it's what God wants to show you, I think, through this letter. It's still what entangles us today. But, but here's what's so amazing about God. He never gives up going after you. Let's read a little bit more. Verse 16, it says, so then here's what happens. Instead of him just saying, all right, I'm gonna leave you be. He says, then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges for they whored after the other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning. Are you kidding me? He was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who, who afflicted and oppressed them. So this is a cycle. Here's, here's where we're gonna go with the book of Judges. This is a cycle, gang, that we're gonna see over and over and over again in the book of Judges. Here's the cycle that I have written down. People rebel, God gets tired of it, oppression comes, and so out of his mercy, he brings them a judge who actually saves them, and then the judge dies, and then it happens over and over and over again. They rebel and get tired of it, oppression. People cry out, God brings a judge, and then the judge dies. And over the summer, here's what we're gonna do. Uh, we are gonna study these judges, these men and women who God uh, raises up to save the people of Israel. And I don't know if you've ever read the book of Judges, uh, these people are not like lacking in the intrigue department, everybody. It's gonna be a really interesting series as we study these men and women because uh, there are some crazy stories, man. And there are crazier people in there. I'm telling you what, like it's gonna be cool. And there's some wild things that are gonna happen. And, and here's what we're gonna see along the way. Hopefully you saw this today. There are things that God wants to challenge you in. 
and your life and your faith and where you're going and where he wants you to be. And so I think we're gonna find a lot of things to think about over the course of these next seven weeks. But, but let me end this way, because here's ultimately, here's ultimately what we need to see. Here's what we need to see. This is the big picture. Judges is not a book of moral things or people we should follow. That's not what Judges is about. It is about a God of mercy who is long suffering and offers us second chances. That's what the book of Judges will remind us. So as we study this, we're gonna, we're gonna look at these judges. We're gonna look at these people. Some will be good. Uh, some are gonna be not so great, but they all started out by rescuing Israel and being raised up by God. But here's what I want you to catch. This is not about a bunch of heroes. This is about one, King Jesus. That's what this will always be pointing to all the time. Judges is constantly gonna point us to the fact that only on the cross, only on the cross, will this tension of our humanity and his righteousness be settled forever. Because on the cross, gang, listen, is where sin is finally given over to him who has no sin and his righteousness can then be given to us. This is where justice is served and it's finality. And it's the only way that we will ever have true freedom. And so with every judge that comes in this book and every cycle that we're gonna see and study, it will always take us back to why Jesus came and what he did for us and how he is the one, listen to me, who breaks the cycle for you. Amen, everybody? That's what we're gonna go after this. So I hope you join us for this series. It's gonna be really, really good. Um, so I hope you come back next week and bring your Bible. So let me pray. God, I am, uh, I am amazed at how you constantly teach me if I'm open to you. And man, as I had prepared this, I, I had some hopes and desires for my church. I'm amazed at what you taught me over this last week and couple months as I studied this. And, and it's, it's been humbling. It's been amazing as you are teaching me through uh, the story of you and your people thousands of years ago. And so much of this is so pertinent to us today. I pray that we have open ears and open eyes to this series of what you wanna tell us through the history of you and, and, and what you're about and that this all points to Jesus and, and that we do understand the final story. We do know the final chapter, uh, that we do have an ultimate judge who breaks the entire cycle of sin that we get to come to you as a result of that. I pray uh, that we are challenged. I pray that, that we are ready to, to learn what you wanna teach us in this. And I, and I just pray for this series. Uh, that we just get what you want uh, us to get out of this. We love you and we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Hey, hope that was a good intro and I hope that gets you looking forward to next Sunday. We'll see you next time for the first judge. See you then.